Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that uncovers Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we're going to be talking to Chris Frutkin. He is with City Center Properties, which is an urban real estate development company that specializes in historic building renovation, which I think is a very important topic for us to start out with this podcast because that's what starts and builds our community, right? Is the buildings that we live in. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have some businesses uh, without people like living somewhere or places for those businesses to be housed in. So kind of kind of an important topic. <laughs> Right, right. And I love what Chris and City Center Properties is doing because their focus specifically is on, you know, maintaining and restoring these historical buildings. And for example, the Coffee Emporium building off of Central Downtown, right? If you go to Coffee Emporium, that building, he owns that building, that alone used to be the Ohio Mechanics Institute back in the day. And did you also know that there is a theater in that building? Yeah, I didn't realize that until you told me like right before we started recording. <laughs> yes, because it, it's it's known technically as the Emory Building and the Emory Theater is in there. So back in the day, Mary Emory, when she said, I'm going to commit, I'm, I, we will, I will fund this building and it is going to be home to the Ohio Mechanics Institute. But a stipulation is... I want a world-class performance center also in it. And it is one of, technically it was one of four, but now it's one of two, still in existence, perfectly acoustic theaters in the United States. And there is no obstruction either. So the way that it was designed, it is one of two. You could drop a dime on that stage and you could hear it all the way in the last row. That's amazing. It's such a hidden gem. Like, again, looking on the outside of that building, you would never suspect. I just thought it was apartments and, you know, businesses in there. And then you're like, hey, yeah, there's there's a theater in there. I'm like, what? And it's soon to be home of the children's theater as well. So they're they're coming in and helping renovate um, with Chris and City Center Properties. And I think that's such a great thing that, you know, real estate played a role and renovation mm -hmm. re played a role in that redevelopment. And then you need that community buy-in. And so the, you know, the children's theater coming in and partnering with uh, yeah. Chris and his team, I think that's such a great thing. Yeah. And it's just one of many buildings that I'm sure we'll be talking about with him on here that he's helped redevelop and really redevelop over the Rhine. So I think that's going to be just an interesting topic to pinpoint of from the early 2000s to now, what was that like, you know, from day one? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's one of the reasons why people come to Cincinnati now. Yeah. All right. Let's bring in Chris. Chris, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of a background as to, because you went to Xavier and you also went to UC. I did, yeah. You are working in real estate development, and I think what's interesting is also specifically more on the historical side with buildings. How did you get your start? So I actually had an uncle that was interested in real estate. He invested in Clifton and over the Rhine and Walnut Hills and did all kinds of stuff. And I lived with him for a year uh, in high school and then went on to college and uh, got my degree in entrepreneurial studies at Xavier. Uh, me and the other woman were the first two to graduate with that degree. I focused on real estate development, and, and about that time, I bought my first building in Over the Rhine. So did you just, like, learn on the fly then, like, how to get involved with real estate development? I mean, obviously from your uncle, but what were some, like, I guess those key points or key learnings that you learned from your uncle or things that you learned along the way? 
Sure, sure. Yeah. So my uncle's an interesting guy. He um, he's very, very optimistic guy, and he, he he's his feeling about over the Rhine was like, oh, this this has got to happen. This is a no brainer. This is incredible. And you know, Chris, yeah, just uh, go ahead and buy that building you're looking at. What you know, what what could go wrong? One hundred percent optimism. And and I have to say, in the long term, he was totally right. I mean, I made a, a million mistakes. Probably took uh, about ten years to figure it out. But I started really young, you know. So you know, by the time I was thirty-five, I kind of knew what I was doing, which is which is really really helpful in real estate. It's a it's a long game, and especially in over the Rhine, there were yeah, we had lots of ups and downs. You know, so that sort of sticking with it and understanding what's working and not giving up when things start falling apart. Yeah, that was really helpful. What were some of those biggest hiccups that you were encountering out the get-go? Well, let's see. About a year after I bought my first building, crack cocaine hit the street. That was pretty deal. dramatic. <laughs> Can't control that <laughs> one. <laughs> we had some bad riots in 2001. I mean, it yeah. was there were lots and lots of ups and downs. The dot-com thing kind of came to Main Street and then it went, you know, so lots of false starts, but really a great adventure too. You know, the, the buildings are so cool. You just, I, I fell in love with them and that kept me at it. Yeah. I kind of paint, I know you, you I, I mentioned the hiccups, but paint a picture of what Over the Rhine looked like when you first started to develop down there. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was so different than it is today. It was, it's really interesting. It was sort of a, uh, there were a number of groups that sort of a confluence of different groups that the old, the building I bought had a, a lot of senior citizen citizens in it. And mm. a lot of those folks had kind of lived in over the Rhine their entire lives. And they were on fixed incomes and lived in, living in small apartments with the heat paid, but they, um, you know, they loved walking around the corner to the little shop or having lunch at uh, the bank cafe or, you know, just some of the really old places were still in business you know, just the stories they told were incredible. Then there was a, you know, sort of a big uh, African-American influence, uh, an Appalachian influence. It just was all these different groups that were, um, you know, trying to figure it out and over the Rhine. It was sort of a, a place where people, you know, that had pretty limited means came to Cincinnati and figured out what they were going to do. Would you say most of the buildings that were down there at the time were vacant or were they occupied? You know, most of them were, were vacant, totally. Actually, yeah. at the turn of the century, Over the Rhine had about 100,000 people living in it. It was one of the most densely populated places on the planet. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I got there in 1987 with my first building, I think there were 5,000 people living in Over the Rhine. So oh, wow. really, really depopulated. Now, it's interesting, too, because, you know, you see a lot, You back then you'd even see a lot of people on the streets, but it wasn't crowded like it was 100 years prior. And a lot of the people that were on the streets were not living there. They were coming down there to do business or hang out with friends or whatever. So there was always a, a sense of you know city life in that neighborhood. When looking at neighborhoods like Over the Rhine, Walnut Hills, Clifton, whatever, what do you look for, like? What are the key trademarks that you look for for determining future growth or future success? Yeah, so it's it's partly I just I think I internalized that you know I. I love the history. My mom has a, a master's in history. I grew up, you know, <laughs> learning about history. Mm -hmm. And these buildings, like, and the people that were there told the most amazing stories, you know. So that just attracted me. And then the walkability, you, you really could get everything. Literally, there was a hardware store a block away from my first building, Rose Hardware. And they had everything Home Depot had, mostly cheaper 
they didn't have 10 of everything. They had, you know, one or two, but it, it's just everything you needed was right there and you could walk over and get it. And, and not to mention that just the sort of community, you know, you always saw people on the street you knew. Some people <laughs> you saw and avoided. Other people you always <laughs> welcomed. You know, it was just a, a, a big old melting pot. Yep. From the physical structure of the building, what are things that you're looking for, right? Because you're not tearing down and rebuilding in that area or in that on that plot of land, you are restoring these buildings. And a lot of the times they're old. Well, so that's, you know, one of the good things and one of the challenging things honestly, the, the buildings in over the Rhine have largely been, you know, abused, I would say. I mean, yeah. a lot of them, you know, the windows were knocked out, the roofs leaked, you know, but they were built so well. I mean, all the lumber that was used to, to construct these was virgin forest lumbers. It was very dense, very strong wood that could, could withstand a lot of weather. The brick, you know, the masonry work was just, they were really tough buildings. And so you could take a building that had been empty for 30, 40, 50 years and put the windows back in and fix it up and really make it into something that you actually cannot buy for new. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter how much money you spend, you can't get virgin forest lumber. <laughs> it's just not available. Yeah, I guess with that said, you know, you're in in the industry. Why have we seen such, I feel like, a dr- dramatic and drastic decline of quality of our building, especially when it comes to, you know, apartments and condos and, and living spaces? I mean, that's a, a great question, Allie. There's a lot of moving parts in it. I mean, partly it's just the the, the cost of things is so expensive and the, the materials that are available are, you know, mostly fabricated in factories instead of, you know, cut by hand uh, or the bricks laid by hand. It's just a, a different way of doing things. Unfortunately, I think it's just, it doesn't appeal to me mostly there's some good there's some good new stuff but but i really do love the craftsmanship in in the old buildings just not replaceable anymore now cincinnati has a lot of historic buildings can you tell us just give us a little bit background about the history of the architecture in cincinnati yeah absolutely yeah so you know the the uh, earliest settlers came to cincinnati i think in the 1780s it was really it's an old city you know and they were very industrious people you know these are people that you know, kind of were fearless. They got on these river boats and they came down here and built a little town and, and that attracted more people sort of as people were moving west. That they, they were very enterprising people that, you know, I, I read a, a historical piece uh, for, for actually Mary Emery wrote and it, you know, just spoke about how there was almost no poverty in Cincinnati, that it was just people worked, made money, saved. They had kind of good good cultural ethics and they really built a very strong and wealthy city. And then that that uh, wealth was presented in the form of, of real estate, in the form of buildings that they were building. You know, this is, whether that was their homes or their factories, oftentimes their home was right across the street or right next to the factory, whether it was a, you know, an iron smelting place or, mm. or beer making or just whatever candle making that, you know, they lived close to where they worked. Of course, um, the city happened in a valley. And so, you know, that's totally great for walking, but walking up to the hills, that didn't work so well. So they had to wait for a while to get uh, <laughs> to get streetcars and things to carry them up. So it just became very dense. You know, it's everything happened, had to happen in the valley and you could get everything you needed in the valley. So how do you feel about where we are now as a city in terms of our architecture and, and I guess real estate too? Sure. Well, you know, this is not just Cincinnati, but lots of cities. And, and I'll just say this uh, in terms of over the Rhine. You know, when I moved there, 
we started working, it was like, there's so much incredible stuff, like the proximity to downtown, the architecture, the proximity to arts and entertainment, you know, just everything was kind of amazing to me, except it had lots of overlays of things that weren't so good. You know, the garbage was not being picked up properly. The streets were a mess. The policing wasn't being done right. You had really good fundamentals, but then all these overlays that kept people away. And yeah. kind of the thinking was like, hey, if we could improve the policing, if we could clean up the streets, you know, get the garbage off, fix up the buildings, the, the true sense of it is just going to shine. People won't be able to stay away. And that that kind of same thing has happened in, in New York City. It's happened, you know, all over the country. Cities have kind of realized how to how to actually function better. Governments have functioned better. And people are, are really attracted to the, the core, you know, foundation of what's there. How has COVID affected all of this? Might as well ask, you know, the, you know, the elephant in the room <laughs> kind of question. Yeah. Well, okay. So for sure, COVID's changed everything for everybody. <laughs> you know, but yeah. but uh, I mean, honestly, people have wanted green space during COVID. They've you know they've basically been penned up in their houses, and you know there was a lot of fear, especially early on, that uh, walking down the sidewalk you might catch COVID. And I think it, from a temporary point of view, people have you know, kind of moved out a little bit, you know, but at the end of the day, now they're sitting out in their green space by themselves, very bored, looking yes. for something to do, looking. And as soon as people get vaccinated, I, I'm, I suspect, uh, you know, they're going to be downtown engaging with the real life and real people getting back to the business of living. Now, do you think like the urban flight was real? I mean, you said, yeah, some people moved, but do you think that's permanent long term? Or do you think, like you said, you know, you think they're going to be back here doing things, but they're still commuting. They're, they're not living down in like urban areas anymore. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean, definitely some people, you know, moved out or chose to rent elsewhere. That That's true. But that I think is a, a very short term situation because, you know, if you look at the number of people uh, that live in downtown and over the Rhine, I don't know, I think it's including, including downtown, including over the Rhine, maybe seven, eight, 9,000 people. And if you look at the metropolitan area, that's just such a small percentage of the total population. Mm -hmm. Look, city living is definitely not for everybody, but it's definitely for some people. You know, those people, you know, have like, frankly, for the last 10 years or so, there have been not enough apartments for everybody that wants one downtown. What are your thoughts on the affordable housing then downtown? And where, because I think that's kind of been a common theme that I've heard people say who are either working or living or want to live that there isn't enough of it. Do you agree or do you disagree with that? You know, that's a great question. It gets to the idea of change. So in the 1950s, the country decided that zoning was a great idea that we'd put all the factories in one area, the rich people could live in an, another area, the uh, blue collar people could live in another area. You know, the idea was like, take the city and divide it all up into these areas. And what happened is that the rich people moved to an area and their schools were fantastic. And the, you know, the areas that poor people lived in, well, they didn't have the tax base to support even moderate services. And frankly, those those segregated areas created this sort of implosion, sort of fed on itself. It really was a terrible policy. So um, some smart people got together and thought, well, how can we do this better? Maybe it'd be okay if we kind of had some low-income people living in wealthy areas, some middle-income people living in wealthy areas. Let's mix up society. 
a little bit. And so I think the people that are interested in taking low-income people and raising up their quality of life, getting them introduced to you know better education, better options, have felt like, hey, it's this concentration, that has to change. But of course, with change, there's, you know, there's always challenge. People don't like change, you know. Yeah. So, but I think the net total is that it's much better to kind of help spread this, you know, this, this around a little bit. What kind of policies do you think, not to get political, but like what kind of policies do you think can be enacted that everyone can agree on? Whether I know, like, for example, tax abatement's very divisive issue, but I think it did allow for that mixture to kind of start happening. So I guess we'll love your opinion since this is your, your realm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, that, I think that was a tool in the politician's kit of how, you know, how do you mix things up? How, like, how do we get the kind of investment dollars into urban areas that we need? Well, one way of doing that is through tax abatements. And you, you can say to people like, hey, if you come in and invest serious amount of money, you're going to get a benefit for that for a period of time, 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And so again, those policies were enacted with the idea of mixing up neighborhoods that, hey, we we need to get rid of this idea that all the wealthy people live in one area and all the poor people live in another area and all just that it's a crazy idea. So let's maybe bring some wealthy people into low income areas. They can spend a lot of money and then our tax base will grow in those areas, and that supports better educational options for everybody. It supports just better services all the way around. And culturally, it's much more interesting to people. I know there's lots of trends right now where everybody sort of seems to want to be with other people exactly like them. But at the end of the day, that's pretty boring. You know, People, yeah. people need to get to know other people. I think on the social media world, that tends to happen more than anything because we kind of bucket ourselves into these niche ideas, right? And and finding those people. But going back to that, do you feel like Over the Rhine then is missing the mark or even just Cincinnati in general? Are we missing the mark on integrating, you know, mixed cultures and, and different backgrounds and communities? And if we are, where can we improve on that? I don't think we are missing the mark. I mean, I think we've been very uh, forward thinking. I think the policies that were enacted in the 50s and 60s that basically segregated groups into into specific areas. I think those policies totally missed the mark and created a tremendous amount of damage to you know people and communities. And I think what we've been doing for the last twenty years or so is kind of unwinding those policies and trying to get to a more equitable environment. You know, you want to make sure that you're. How do you accommodate everyone? Because you also have to think from the back end of your financial investment too. Right. Now that's 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 absolutely right. So I, I think it works kind of like this. So different companies, you know, pr- companies are they specialize in in what they do, and different companies, you know, provide. You know, my, my company does renovated housing. It's expensive. We, you know, our residents tend to be uh, middle to I don't know if I would say upper middle, but you know, people spend a decent amount of money on rent with us because it takes that to build those type of units. Yeah. So. We don't specialize in low-income housing or affordable housing, but I have lots of friends that do, and they tend to specialize just in that, and they don't do what I do. So it's it's about finding the right companies to fill in a neighborhood. I think 3CDC has done a tremendous job of that. You know, they've uh, helped companies do uh, middle-income housing. They've helped, uh, you know, upper-income housing. They've certainly helped a lot of low-income housing, but they tend to be different companies doing different things. 
the on the flip side, I guess, is your commercial or your commercial properties, right? And so because once people like live somewhere, they need somewhere to work and to, you know, play. Can you give us some insight about how the commercial real estate market is in Cincinnati and what can be done to, you know, improve it? Sure. So okay, so I, I'm mostly residential and mostly apartments. That's that's my but we do have some storefronts and some office space and that kind of thing. I tell you that COVID has really changed that marketplace tremendously, you know, Mm. uh, whether it's hotels and, you know, the lack of travel, that commercial side of the business is, is, is struggling right now. It'll recover, but it's going to take a little bit more time. Uh, The office market, you know, people are staying home just like we're doing this, this uh, call right here. You know, it's, it's amazing. (laughs) I mean, you're in Toledo, I'm in Cincinnati, you know, it's fantastic, but it means that, you know, the demand for office space is, is really changing. And nobody really knows how that's going to play out in the next five or 10 years. But it's one thing you know for sure, there's going to be change. Let's talk about, I think this is one of the coolest parts of what you do, a little bit of the Emory and, you know, redeveloping for people who don't know, you own also the building where Coffee Emporium is out of off of Central. And in that building is the Emory Theater. So talk a little bit about why you really wanted to take on this project and kind of paint a picture for people as to what's to come. Truth be told, around 1997 or 98, I was having coffee with Jim Tarbell. And he was talking about the Emory Building, how it was just sitting there, it was falling apart. And it needed to be redeveloped. You know, I, I mean, I was quite young and inexperienced at the time, but I thought, why not? I'll go up to UC. I, I pulled the architectural plans. I, you know, pursued it as a as a development, even though I had literally had no idea what I was doing. But um, <laughs> it turned, which which is fine, you know. So some other folks went ahead and developed it in conjunction with UC, and uh, they did a great job and kind of got it basically saved and to the place where it is now. Well. You see, uh, about a year and a half ago, decided that it was an asset that they w- should sell. It's really not in keeping with their mission, so they sold it uh, on the marketplace. There's a lots of, lots of offers offers out of Cincinnati, all over the country. People were bidding on it. Luckily, my partner Dave Nyer and I were uh, lucky enough to prevail in that. So there's a long term story for me. You know, like I, I've always loved this building. It's honestly. A very complicated building to figure out. You know, it has the theater. Luckily, the children's theater has stepped up, and they're they're looking forward to developing that. We're working really closely with them to make that happen. It's amazing, just amazing. And then the apartments. You know, figuring out how to make something that okay, the way they built the twenty years ago is just really different than how people want to live now. So yeah, imagine living in that building and then be like, okay, I'm just gonna bop over and go downstairs to the theater. Let's go into one of two perfectly acoustic theaters in the states, by the way, which is incredible. Right, or, or literally walk across the street and go to Kroger's, like just literally across the street, or you can go down and have some coffee at Coffee Emporium. Oh, it's just fantastic. Coffee, it's 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 like that's the ultimate amenity is location. That's how we feel about it. So when you when you are looking at the floor plans and the architecture plans right out the gate, what are things that you're thinking about? Because like you said, you just said, I had no clue what I was doing. You know, I'm sure you've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but what is that first what is that actual first step into redevelopment? So, you know, the market has changed so much since I started in 1987. Yeah. You know, back then, Over the Rhine had amazing buildings. They were really inexpensive. You know, frankly, not that many people wanted to live in them. 
<laughs> so yeah. we had to we 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 had to make really interesting spaces. Uh, I mean, I have one apartment from that era that's five thousand square feet, if you can believe it. It's five, it just what? it's like, well, let's just make this Put giant pool in there. Room. Oh, my gosh. oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and so, like that model kind of worked back in the you know the eighties and the nineties. Now, you know, people um, want the really hot, nice finishes. They don't yeah. really, frankly, nobody wants to heat or air condition 5,000 square feet. So it's, you know, th- these spaces that were done 20, 30 years ago are getting transformed now. At some point, we'll take that 5,000 foot apartment and turn it into five apartments, you know, that are really nice, have great amenities. And so that's the kind of change that's that's happened. Yeah. yeah. So it's really looking, so I guess you're saying it's really looking at, when you're looking at floor plans, it's looking at the physical space and what people are looking for now. So what do you think people are going to be looking for five, 10 years into the future, if you had to predict what the trends are going to be? Well, okay. So like, I remember watching the, the TV show Friends. That, that's, so that probably came out in the early 90s or so, you know, or, or, Jerry, or Jerry Seinfeld. You know, both of those shows, they, like, they featured these like, young people having fun in downtown New York. And, you know, people kind of were like, oh, my God, like, I'd like to, you know, rent a place in a, a cool city where I could go to the coffee shop. You know, this, that idea really didn't occur to people in the 80s, you know. Yeah. Um, the, the movie Big. I mean, you know, all these like were about yeah. like incredible spaces. And I think that, you know, again, sort of changed people's vision of how you could live. Like you did not need to get in the car and commute an hour both ways, you know, every day. I mean, it's like the car culture was a, a thing of the 50s, you know, that it was so amazing to have a car. And being on the freeway was like a wonderful experience. Well, by the 80s, it really wasn't a wonderful experience. <laughs> it's still not a wonderful experience. <laughs> it's, it's even worse. There's just more cars. Yeah. So, like, so if you could imagine this, like, post-COVID, like, maybe people don't go to the office as much. And they continue to, like, really cherish their, the neighborhood that they're living in. They, that's, they find that valuable and they spend their money there. You're spending money at, at the corner shop where you know the person. He's asking about your kids and, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just a, I think a much higher quality way of living, but definitely not for everybody, but for the people I know, it, it is. Staying on that line of thought, do you think Cincinnati has that? Is it that big enough city, you know, like to get that like friends feeling? Oh yeah. Okay. So that is a great question because, um, because the fact is, it's better. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but and we really don't Preach. want to tell too many people. But it really is better because, like, what it costs to live in Manhattan? Are you kidding oh. me? Like, nobody You're in a pizza box that. for six thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 insane, and we have amazing culture here. Like, mm, really yes. amazing culture. You know, I mean, the museums and the arts. I mean, think of Children's Theater. That you know, at the Emory. Like, this is just like more energy and activity towards what we already is is already so fantastic and the other thing that we have that you know new york has we're both the same is we have an, an airport you know <laughs> if, yeah, we if, do. You, if you want to go to to thailand you can get on a plane yeah. and go to thailand oh i just went through laguardia two weeks ago it's it's uh, it's not fun oh. <laughs> our airport it's awesome so yeah i i think okay it's not you know it's it's definitely it's it's not something that it isn't but it is pretty amazing like you can afford to have a really high quality of life here yeah what do you think this city could improve on oh i think we just need to keep doing what we're doing honestly we've had some good leadership i think uh, one of the best things they did uh, 
and and I was you know partly involved in this uh, early on was the foundation of 3CDC that the the city recognized that you know there's some things that politicians aren't actually very good at and mm-hmm. so they kind of gave that away and and it's been really effective and I think that the people appreciate it you know they've they've brought a billion and a half dollars into downtown it's incredible you know the city mm-hmm. the city politicians uh, frankly they enabled that they supported it but they could never have done it themselves you know so yeah. Um, so that kind of smart thinking, and frankly, there were some really smart guys on, on 4th Street that have, you know, long-term love of this city and have stepped up to support that and enable that, you know, facilitate that. It's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, frankly, my daughter's up in, in school in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, Columbus is a cool town. There's been lots of investment there, but it isn't Cincinnati, yeah. Indianapolis. My parents are in Indianapolis. Again, lots of investment downtown, lots of, you know, prosperity. But it isn't cool like Cincinnati school. They're definitely a little bit more newer cities compared to Cincinnati has, you know, it's such a rich history. It's hard to find nowadays, to be quite honest. I guess like before we like wrap up, I would love to get your thoughts about what can our listeners do to be a part of the real estate boom in Cincinnati? And what can they do to ensure that, you know, Cincinnati is a great community moving forward? The answer to that, I would say, is investment. And I, I would say that it's an investment in people. So, yes. you know, if you go mm. to Costco and buy something, you know, that the, you're, you're not having an engaged, invested experience. But if you go down to over the Rhine or downtown and go to a shop and buy something from somebody there and maybe do it a couple of times, you're going to get to know the guy that actually owns the business. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a, a person-to-person experience. And that kind of investment in, in human beings is is tremendous. And I think the reward that people get from that is is also tre- tremendous. I mean, you just to know the, the, the local butcher or to know the guy you, you buy your, your, your shirts from, you know, that's a just a much higher it, maybe it's a little more expensive but you know it's also much better experience that's what i would sort of call investing in like buying into things and people in cincinnati have been doing that i mean it, it's just the coolest thing to see see people come into the city and the light bulb goes off and more and more people have done that over the last 20 years it's been fantastic the buildings are just a structure around us that's what's going on in the buildings with amongst oh. each other. I think that's it's all about human connection, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it really is. Oh, I feel like we could be talking for hours and getting yeah. into the nitty gritty <laughs> of, of, you know, floor plans and, and whatnot, but I'm just, are we missing anything big that's with your story and your background and, and what you do every day? So I just want to make a sort of an analogy, you know, look at, uh, you know, I don't know, it's 20 some years ago, Broadway Commons, you know, that idea of putting the baseball stadium like in the city, you know, part of over the Rhine, like that idea was not accepted by the powers that be, you know, but now today, look at where they put the soccer stadium. It, it's just amazing. It, yeah. it, you know, yeah. West End, I mean, like in over the Rhine, it's like the, I, the, like the people that are making the serious investments and commitments they know what the long-term future is and, and what what the value what a value proposition that is. What do you have to say about when people, you know, because it, it was kind of like controversial, right? The bringing the soccer stadium over to the west side. What do you have to say to people who were who felt um, differently about it? Uh, yeah, again, people people don't like change. I don't like change. I mean, yeah. all, you know, but somebody has to think about what the long-term future should look like and yeah. and make the right tough decisions to to 
to make those commitments. And and I think that that's exactly what's happened with, with the soccer stadium. Yep, there's a little bit of transformation. You know, people move. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's dis- disruptive. Frankly, sometimes people get a check to move and they're really happy about it. You sell your house for lots more than you bought it for. Okay, I'm moving. <laughs> I'm happy to be, be moving, you yeah. know. Yeah. Do you think that that happens more often and we just hear about the negative because we're, you know, human nature, right? Yeah, because sure, controversy sells, absolutely. Yeah. You know. Uh, it it does. That's that's totally human nature, Ali. That's exactly right. But optimism really is what makes everything happen. You know, people just don't get out of bed if they don't have some optimism, you know, a sense of purpose and a sense of mission. And I could just tell you, like, honestly, I never thought that Over the Rhine would be anywhere near as good as it has, has become, you know? I, it's just so, so gratifying to have been part of that, you know? It, it's amazing. Yeah, so I was just going to say, how does it feel to know that you really had quite an impact? Well, lots, me and lots of other people. That it's a sense of community, you know, the sense of you know everybody moving there, everybody's taking all these steps towards something positive. When you said you and so many other people, who you know, who would you also say are the integral, pe- like who are the who are the integral people in this whole process from the get go? Okay, so Jim Tarbell, you have to you have to put him top on the list. Like that yeah. guy just had vision, and and he had I don't know he was tireless. I mean, he was an ama- amazing guy. And uh, Marge Hamelrath with the Over the Rhine uh, Chamber and the Over the Rhine Foundation, those different groups. You know, I would uh, I would put uh, Mario San Marco and Tom Williams. Those guys really stepped up early on when when we needed them. Bill Baum, he was an early developer that really showed us how excellent the construction could be. Like amazing. A fellow named Jim Mole that, you know, th- th- these are all old, old characters that, I mean, we, <laughs> we used to meet at the grammars uh, for over the, the over the Rhine chamber meetings and maybe like 15 people would show up, including everybody I just named. <laughs> it's like these, these people had some vision, you know, it was really cool. And my uncle was there, Fred Berger. And I, you know, I was in college tagging along, like just trying to understand what the heck was going on. And wow, it yeah. felt really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And just getting it moving, I think is, is the, the fascinating part to think about, right? Cause having an idea is wonderful, but executing it is a whole nother thing. Truly, truly, yes. But, you know, most of those people, including myself, didn't have much to lose. You know, yeah. we, we weren't already like locked into something else. It, it was like, well, what am I doing that's better than this? This is the best thing I can think of to do. So let's let's do it. Yeah. And let's do it together. You know, that, that sense of togetherness, was it was incredible. Well, on that note, I think that's where we should end it. Chris. Well, wonderful. Yeah, thank you. This was <laughs> yeah, great. That I was great. Really insightful. Yeah, Patrick, and- thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. This is, this is really fun to <laughs> talk yeah. about something I love so much. Investment in people. Yes. That's, that was, love that takeaway. That was probably my biggest takeaway as well. You know, you'll see in our later episodes, that's exactly what Cincinnati is all about, is they invest in each other and invest in their communities. And I think it has led us to where we are today. And hopefully it will lead us to where we're going to be. Not to say like everything's all perfect and hunky-dory. And I know, yeah, you know, no, Chris no. even Chris even, you know, alluded to that, but he's like, clearly what we have here, it's been working. 
Yeah. And I think also our perspective becomes our reality, right? He had mentioned optimism. Optimism is extremely important. We can look at any situation, change included, and be extremely critical of it. It's very by nature. But when you are able to surround yourself with people with a mission and a goal and a purpose, what Chris and that team has accomplished is really tremendous. And it's, and has transformed our city and honestly, the way that we live and how we view our city and interact with each other. So yes, there's controversy, but look at where we are now. Uh, yeah, right. Um, and I think that optimism piece, like he kind of like inherited it from his uncle who was like part of a group of people themselves yeah. who were forward thinking back before, you know, the 2001 race riots that deeply affected, yeah. you know, OTR. Yeah. And so the fact that after the race riot in 2001 that, you know, they were still optimistic about mm -hmm. that area and what could happen there. So I think you nailed it on the head with that uh, word optimism. Optimism. Yeah. And knowing that Everybody plays a role in some shape or fashion. You can't do it alone. This is getting a little preachy, but you you really can't. And your whatever your expertise is and your skill set, find people that you can collaborate with and come together with a vision and figure out how to execute it. Chris, he didn't know what he was doing, <laughs> but they figured it out, you know? But know that you are a small piece of the puzzle, but still in order to make it whole and full, yeah, I You're think just that's as important. That's a little uh, preachy, but hey, it's but true. <laughs> it's true, and I think it ties back into full circle moment: investing in people. Invest in people. That's going to be our takeaway. Oh, I love that. Invest in people. <laughs> Prosting to people. <laughs> On that note, cheers. cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.